Hi, my name is Kyle Paletto, and here at Sifter, we're proud to bring you some of the best independent games journalism in Australia. I'm excited to introduce a brand new weekly show to the Sifter roster, a gaming news show called Walkthrough. I'll let you know which company has been bought out this week, all the blockbuster titles that have just been announced, the controversies and the exciting developments every Sunday. I'll also give you an update on the titles out this week and go in-depth with some of the biggest stories. I hope you'll join me as I guide you through the news on Walkthrough, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you like to listen. and welcome to Lightmap from Sifter. On Lightmap, we explore what it actually takes to make games, those interactive experiences that we love, and we meet amazing creative teams from all around the world and find out what their development journey was like. It's a guide to interesting new gameplay experiences, and every episode we meet developers, artists, musicians, researchers, and more. And on this episode, we're joined by Cheryl Vance and Adam Markham from Prideful Sloth, uh, based in Queensland, and we're going to learn a little bit more about their game, Grow Song of the Evertree. Welcome to you both. Thanks to, for joining us on Lightmap. No worries. Thank you for having us. Yeah. It's good to uh, come back and talk to you again after a few years break. So thank you. Yes, because of course we spoke to you about your um, your previous game, Yonder, um, which uh, was again a very uh, colourful and peaceful exploration game. There wasn't any uh, challenges uh, in terms of like violence or anything like that. Which, so it was a really innovative take, which we've now started to see a lot more of. So I think you were kind of groundbreaking at the time when that kind of came out. But I'm really curious to see how this compares to your new game. Um, but without any further ado, let's jump in. If you like insightful discussions about those high-profile games that everyone's talking about, then why not check out Sifter's other podcast, Mainstream, in your podcast feed right now. We talk about those high-profile titles, those AAAs, some of those other smaller indie darlings, featuring insights from the award-winning Sifter team and other special guests. You can find Mainstream in your podcast player. That's on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or head to the Sifter website, that's sifter.com.au. Okay, so it's been a little while since we spoke to you last, but you're back uh, with a new game that's going to be out uh, very soon, middle of the month, um, and uh, you know, a week from now from when we're talking just about. Um, it's called Grow Song of the Evertree. Um, can you explain what is this game? Um, how do we play it? It's a sandbox exploration game where you grow your own worlds, craft, craft the world you want to be in. Yeah, with an aspect of town building, uh, and uh, a, a dabble of exploration as well, let's say. Can you tell me um, what are the sort of things that players will actually be doing in the game? So basically, uh, it's all about going and revitalizing uh, the world in the world tree, uh, which is uh, kind of like a not a reverse farming game, but you're presented with a, a land that's, uh, that's in need of care, um, and you spend your day like, uh, refreshing and rebuilding and uh, getting nature coming back to those worlds. And then at the end of the day or during those days as well, you can return to your town. And then there's an aspect of uh, revitalizing the the town at the base of the tree, you know, bringing in uh, people and building buildings and having some relationship stuff go on and managing a town aspect. And that kind of loop 
kind of goes back and forth between the two days and it's up to the player about how they would want to choose to do. Do they want to go up and do their worlds or do they want to nurture their town or do they want to have an aspect of exploration? It's The loop is there like that, but it's semi-freeform. If the player chooses to, they can you know, yeah. do one of those things. They can either invest more time in the worlds and, and, and see what happens there or play in their towns or you know, take a day to explore around and find you know interesting things that we've or fish. Or People fish. love fish. People like <laughs> fishing. So yeah. it's always, you know, you can take a day and go fishing if that's what you want to do. So. What is it about fishing that people really love? It is something that just people like lock onto. They're like, I've got to go out there and catch them all. The other one is swimming too. I don't, you don't want to know how many people we had request swimming in yonder. People like swimming. But yes, fishing and swimming are, I don't, I think it's just kind of the, People associate fishing with something really chill and relaxing. And also there's a fishing is sort of a, it's a hand-me-down, you know, like it's a, it's a family hand-me-down, you know, like everybody remembers fishing with their parent because nobody ever just said, I don't think, I don't know anybody who just said one day, I want to learn how to fish. So it's always that. So I think there's a comfort in fishing that people enjoy still. So um, with your previous game, we talked a little bit about having sort of like a comfortable, peaceful space um, for people to explore. Um, it didn't; it was an open world game, but it didn't have the same sort of um, you know pressures or external big bad or anything like that. Can you tell me how does that compare to to Grow? What are some of the things that are common, um, and what are some of the things you've done slightly differently? So Grow really um, takes a lot of the lessons that we learned and the, the things that people were interested in from yonder. And we've taken those lessons and, and wants and developed those and put those into this. So really the heart of grow still has a lot of what yonder was about in it, but it's also given us the ability to allow more, more freedom even than, you know, it's not as open world as yonder, but in a way there's more freedom, I think for the player in this game than even yonder had in terms of, how do you want to build town? Is town the most important thing that you want to do today? Is adventuring the most important thing? Where yonder lean pretty heavily, just purely in the adventure side of things. This gives you options, a lot of different options for what you want to do. Um, but there's still like at the heart of the, you know, the cozy, the tranquil, the peaceful, the non-pressured gameplay that exists here as well too. Yeah. And I think uh, where it's different too, it's, it's, we have a more focus on town. Town building is a definitely a, a large aspect of the game, um, and also like the uh, the idea of uh, regrowth and and rebirth and nature and being actively involved in in that process as well is you know we we push that a bit more I think. Um, but how do you make it so that it doesn't feel like a real time pressure um, for players? Because in some other previous games I've played, when you've got these sort of open world sandbox things, things like Stardew Valley or um, Animal Crossing, um, it can feel like you've got to go in every single day and you've got to complete everything, otherwise you're not playing it correctly. I'm just curious about your considerations about um, designing the game um, from that point of view. Yeah, I think I think we, we do have like, there is uh, not necessarily a time pressure, there is the, the day-night time of, like, you, you know, you have to you do certain things within a day. But it really comes down to the players. The way we designed it, I think, is a, a, it's up to the player's choice, like how many days do you want it to take. Uh, and, there, and there's no penalty for that either. So it's like you, you can, you're free to take as long or as little as you like in any of the areas of the game, but we do have that day-night yeah. cycle. But I think that's a, what you hit on is exactly right. It's the penalty side of things. Um, 
there's the thing, you know, like even originally in Yonder, you know, people were concerned about falling off a cliff because that generally means death. But you felt, you know, if you accidentally fell off something, the umbrella captured you. And that's the point of the not penalty side of things mm. and leaning into that more and developing that would grow. Like I said, there is, you know, there is a, there is a sense of things are wrong and the world needs help. Yes, absolutely. But if you don't finish it by game 30, it's not game, you know, day 30, it's not game over. And in fact, that's part of why we chose not to, you have day night cycles, but we don't have a day tracker in there because the time you spend is the time you want to spend. There shouldn't be a pressure of, I need to do this tomorrow. I need to do this by day 10. You know, you shouldn't need to schedule and manage your game life as well too. Can you tell me a little bit about um, some of the other influences that have um, made its way into this game? What are some of the things that you or experiences that you really wanted to to capture, um, either building on, on stuff you worked on in the past or, or other games that you've played? Well, I think when we looked at the exploration side of things uh, and that uh, adventure p- portion of the game as well, there was a little bit of like uh, looking at, I guess, Zelda and and games like that where there is that uh, adventure side. Uh, you know, and the and the wonderment and like what's around the next corner kind of thing, and so uh, trying to inject some of that, uh, you know, that wonder and exploration into the game, um, even though there is no combat or monsters or or death and that, but still trying to make that interesting and fun in a way. So yeah, kind of looking at those kind of games and saying, oh, okay, what can I apply from, you know, uh, dungeons and things like that, but still make it fun and interesting without that, you know, combat aspect. So yeah, definitely pulling in things like from Zelda. Um, yeah, and a big I, one for me. I think it's you know there's the obvious comparisons of you know um, your s- harvest moons, your story of seasons. Trying to make sure I get both those IP names right. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also you know there's things that people might not realize that are in there too. Like um, for me, one of the games that I actually really appreciate is Persona as a series. I like how Persona manages the two different styles of play where you can go out for a bit and go do your do your effective dungeon crawl and then you can come back and slow down and take some time to build some relationships. I actually find that um, the mixture of those types of gameplay really nice. And again, that's that's an influence for how to try and mix different, you know, genres and put them together in a way that work well. So that's in there. Um, Animal Crossing um, you know, that's, it's such a, it's such a cozy game. You know, you can't go past it. So that's obviously an influence, but yeah, I think the weird, the weird one people might not realize is something like Persona is also an influence as well. You're targeting a bunch of different platforms. I know when Yonder came out, it was originally on PC, and then you brought it to a number of different ones. And I'm wondering, what are the considerations you have uh, about players who play on Switch, for example, versus players who play on PlayStation or PC? Are they different sorts of people do they have different experiences or are they all looking for something just in a different you know style of playing really at the end of the day there's um it's been interesting to see because like yonder came to xbox last but it was a really interesting one to see that by the time it got to xbox there was actually a really nice little community there of people who were really excited because it is different to what exists on there already so i don't I don't think there's much of a specificity that we really put into trying to figure out what each player is like. It's just every platform has kind of its own sort of core audience, which inherently we know the more cozy games that tends to lean into where the switch sits, but there's plenty of PC gamers out there. And in fact, you know, Yonder was, you know, in the early days, PC was, you know, huge for us for Yonder in terms of where our support went, because we had a lot of people playing it. So, you know, the mouse, you know, 
people, you know, might, you know, consider PC gamers to be a different audience too. But in fact, that was such a, you know, lovely platform for us to get it out on. So really, I think different experiences in general are things that people enjoy. So it's not a platform specific thing we try and look at. It's, um, it's really more about the audience and every platform has an audience for these types of games. What did you learn about your audience in the, you know, several years or so, a long time that the game was coming out on Yonder and that you've sort of taken lessons from uh, in the development of Grow? So we, the nice one that we learned about Yonder is more so the diversity of the audience, to be fair. Um, it was really interesting. We would see, we, you know, like what people wanted is an experience that took them out of the pressure that they had. And that's so universal for a lot of people. So that was one of the things that really we made sure to keep at the forefront of it. Um, you know, we have people who would email us. I play esports, and when I need to take a little bit of time to myself between matches and just get you know a nice headspace in, I play yonder. And like I never would have thought of the divergence between esports and yonder, but you know the, the need for a experience and a feeling exists, and so that's really a lot of it. Having said that. Um, people really, really were interested in getting into their ability to influence the towns, which we didn't have in Yonder. It was all very, you know, preset. And so that's where the town building side of um, Rose come in. That's a lot from that side where people really just want their own experience and their own story. And we also took that and tried to incorporate that experience and that story into the player customization options and really giving you the ability to pick and choose which NPCs you want in town, which mm. critters you want in town. How is it? How is your story going to unfold? What I really liked is as you were traveling through, you would find other customizable items. You know, I'd find pairs of glasses or great haircuts and things like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, like, what is the, obviously there could be a, a world where all of that stuff becomes paid DLC. Right, that's a particular business model, but there is a way to discover all this here. I'm just thinking, how do you, um, you know, manage it so that people are getting enough meaningful progression as they're going through the game, um, so that they want to keep playing, but also don't have that pressure of, you know, I've got to go and collect all this stuff, or I need to find the, you know, the game facts strategy guide showing my age of, of how to, um, you know, progress and complete this 100. percent Yeah. Um, so I think we were relatively generous with. Uh, having randomized things drop for customization, buildings, player, uh, all those things. So we that was a conscious choice to to make sure it was fairly rewarding for doing things. Uh, I'm if we I'm not a super fan of the like DLC or paid like micro content kind of vibe. It definitely takes you out of the game as soon as you're like, oh, I can't get that because I have to go to the store and have premium currency and all those kind of things. And uh, and for the vibe of what this game to, is, that really is definitely something I don't think we would wanted to you know have at the at the start of this thing. It's like it, it needs to keep you in the game, keep you engaged, be really rewarding and, and generous with what it does. Um, and again, it's like uh, and that also feeds back into uh, you have all those NPCs in your town and things like that. So all of those player customization options can then be handed to an NPC and you can dress them up. So it's totally fine to just like. Have more glasses, have more hats, hairs, do it, go go crazy, have fun. Somebody's Somebody on the development team is keen to have everybody wearing top hats and monocles in one of their towns. That's what they want. Um, but yeah, again, I mean, we've tried to get that freedom and customization down to um, the fact that even after you 
raise your harmony in a specific town area. If you go back, you can custom, and I can get to place the rune. I think there's two parts, but you can customize the town itself. So you can change the color of the grass. You can change the tree types that exist. So you might want something that's a little bit more, you know, um, more invocative of deserty type stuff. So you can find a cactus tree and put it in those sorts of things too. And again, it's really just, you know, wanting to make sure that the players have, not just the content available, but the ability to use the content. So as you said, the balance there also means the shops sell things daily and that rotates daily. You have the little mini events that you can participate in, which also give you content as well too. So keeping rotating, but interesting content available. So there's more than one avenue to get it as yeah. well. Um, there's a few people who've been playing this game already, um, and I'm just curious, has there been anything that's been surprising to you from their experiences, any interesting screenshots or anything that people have put together with the in-game sort of camera mode or or anything like that that really made you smile? There's So we did a beta test early on as well, too, and people had fun with some of the player poses in the camera stuff that you can do, oh, yeah. and they were he, he found that he could um, get up on top of one of the big animals and then jump and then go into this action. So he had this big leaping, you know, exciting type um, action pose that he put together, which is really good. But it's also really funny to talk to people because regardless of um, people like the mustaches, regardless of who you talk to, people have fun <laughs> with that. So that's, that's a universal like we found. People seem to have fun with mustaches on characters. So that's been really fun to see as well too. Um, and honestly, it's just, I think, been nice to hear that people found the options available to them were they felt that they could make something representative of themselves. And so that's been really cool to hear as well, too, that people found that there was enough content to do that. So, yeah, that and also like uh, surprising the amount of time certain people would take, you know, playing in an area like I've been playing for, you know, 12 hours and just like you're still in the same starting area. The meadow, the meadow quarters. There's more. <laughs> but, yeah, so, and that's true too, just the amount of time. Um, I, we get so blindsided by going through, you know, and what does the game play like as a, you know, as a start to finish because that's part of what we need to do is make sure that you can get everything. But just watching people engage with the content in different ways has just been really interesting and fun and how long it takes people to engage with the content scares me <laughs> it's a lot mm. there's gonna be some good legs on this one um i'm just curious this has been a strange time to be making games over the last couple of years uh it hasn't been easy to do anything creatively and i'm just wondering what are some of the things that you have uh learned through this time about the way that you make games um that may have changed the way you'll do them in the future or or, or does your format of making games just work in and in, in how you know in whatever situation we tend to find ourselves in I actually, I don't, my, my personal take on it is I don't think it's actually affected us that much. Um, mm. I mean, there's, there, don't get me wrong, there is an mental impact that everybody has had through this. You know, like there's been, you know, I, so it, no one person has had, you know, has, has walked away from this being impact free. Having said that, you know, like yourself, you know, you had to homeschool kids for like six months. That's yes. that, the mental impact for you on that. <laughs> yeah. That was a hard slog. They were both in the room with me at the same time. So we're all sharing computers, all in this tightly packed room, no air conditioning in Queensland. Uh, and it was like trying to make this calm, relaxing games with the, the two boys. Boys, <laughs> I'm trying to make this relaxing game. <laughs> but I mean, having said that too, we, we, 
been really lucky that we have a team that's a little bit more senior and everybody's gone through the rounds multiple times already in making games. And so the, the impact, again, nobody's been impact free, but the impact has been minimal enough on us that we've still been able to get the game out. Our deadlines haven't shifted. That doesn't mean that there weren't ebbs and, you know, ebbs and flows in terms of how, how work got done. Again, I think we've been pretty lucky and everybody's been pretty good. I mean, you know, by your fourth or fifth lockdown, you know, you're just like, okay, everybody come in, get your PCs, send me the receipt for your Uber if you needed to Uber in and we'll see, you know. And so we got to the point where we knew that the, the really short, sharp lockdowns that we've been having were jarring. So we generally try to keep everybody home for at least a week to manage that flow. But otherwise, um, yeah. we've all been back in the office since October. Um, so for over a year now, we've been in the office because I'm like, oh, yeah, it's November now. So it's been over a year. Um, but yeah, everybody did really well. And I think everybody managed it for themselves in their own way. And there was little visible impact. Yeah, I think we, we managed to get, uh, like, nailed down what Grow is from its features and how they interacted. Luckily, before we had to go into lockdown, so we could all be in the same room together and discuss and, you know, like, prototype and get everything working the way we needed to before we hit the lockdown. So we kind of had everything semi in set in stone as to how things worked so that we didn't have to really worry about getting miscommunication over chat and things yeah. like that and i think the the biggest policy that we had in place um for lockdown was we would do voice chats but we would not make anybody get on video because how you're coping with your day and how you're looking so long as you can <laughs> do your job you just need a voice chat so um while everybody else was zoom was the big thing for everybody else we were like discord audio chat only or maybe a quick skype call but we didn't make anybody have video chat just because you know like we all dealt we all dealt with it differently so and you don't need to show your um your, your six month hair of shame if you don't want to it's all good or the fact that you just got out of bed and you're in a robe i mean yeah. hey like that's that's me. Like I, I actually have an office. I guess I used to wearing a robe. I have an office robe now. I'm certain I'm the office hobo. But <laughs> uh, I can tell you, I definitely had my. Uh, I put a jumper over the top of my pajamas for some of those very early morning Zoom calls because you had to be on video for them. But I think that's a, that's an interesting thing. To me, it sounds like you had a pretty strong um, production timeline and it, um, everything had kind of gone to schedule, regardless of other. Um, you know, factors which are external. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what you, you what your production um, style is like uh, for a game like this? We had never a two month milestone, so and from there we would cover high level topics in those milestones, and then as the milestone progressed in the scrum type way, then we would get through and drill down into what the core of those topics were, get implemented, work out what features maybe fell out during that um, period, and moved into the next the next milestone but yeah for the most part we're we're very agile and yeah mainly just because we accept that not every idea on paper is is going to work the way you think it will once it gets into games so you need to be flexible to begin with to understand you know to get that into working how it should to fit the game not how you think it is in your head so that's um Scrum agile is pretty yeah, much pretty lean. I think we had a, a we had a, a decent prototype loop in there already. Uh, once we had that framework kind of in place um, and all the tertiary features and things like that, we kind of knocked them out with you know design documentation and back and forth and uh, played around with them. It's an interesting game too because the the loop uh, and the style it, it, that formula hasn't you don't really see that formula 
in other games. So it was like, you know, a bit of new ground to get things right. So there was a lot of just, okay, well, this how's this working with the game? How does it translate back and forth between the document and things like that as well? And what you like, so what you think you what you think sounds right in your head when you get yeah. to play it. Um, there were changes. There were things we rolled back because we went, no, this doesn't actually fit the pressure timeframes of the game, or you know, doesn't fit the player feel part of the game correctly. So there's, you know, there's there's some stuff that we did that we pulled back on as well too. You know, so there's some time there that went into things that didn't make it into game. But effectively, you're always going through those features and wearing the hat of is it right for the feel is it right for the players so yeah you don't have to wait long for uh, that curiosity because there's people going to have hands on it very 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 soon um what is one aspect of it that you are really proud of something that you um just always think about and go that is a that was a decision that i i backed or um you know that that someone else did and i just think is a a great element of the game that i'll I'll go first you know because you know what i'm going to talk about literally right before literally right before lockdown we had um just a green light pass on the game to make sure it was working along with our publisher and they were happy with it and it was at that point where the grow mechanic that you see now came in um for that and it was just such a brilliant moment for me to see. And when I talk about the grow mechanic, the watering the flowers and the flowers growing in front of your face and the grass pulling out and all those bits. And that was the point at which I could see the game properly. And it was where it, where we had wanted it to go. And I mean, and when I say that, like it was literally, we had just put green light out. I was on the train on Monday morning, um, probably a few weeks before proper lockdown came in. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is so much. We just need to send the team home now because it's like a lot to deal with trying to get everything in and watching COVID numbers every day and going, what does this mean for the business? It was all really hard. And so that was like the most refreshing and wonderful thing. And the biggest release for me to see that because it was like, this is the game. I can see it. I can feel it. And it just came together for me at that point. So yeah, I keep forgetting about that because now we look at it and go, ah, oh, yeah, that's the, just the grow mechanic, the visual, everything exploding in front of your face and it's like i never thought of it was like yeah that was actually pretty huge it was when, a big milestone yeah, for me because before that uh we didn't have that in there it was more like a um, stardew valley or other farming games where you would plant and then you would sleep and then you'd return and then you'd see your progress and then we were like hey what if we could do this live so that as you do the actions the trees and things are growing and the grass is coming out and getting that visual payoff instantly yeah and as soon as we did that it was huge it was like oh wow it's kind of a magical moment, actually, isn't it? You know, when it happens and you do that, you know, you sing basically and then everything just goes everywhere. Um, it, it, it does. It, feel, it makes you feel something really um, special. Um, it, the game uh, will be out very, very soon for people listening uh, to this. Uh, they can pick it up on uh, a number of different platforms. It's called Grow Song of the Evertree. Adam and Cheryl, thank you so much for, for joining us again. Um, we can't wait to see what people put together because I know that there's going to be an amazing community of uh, taking amazing screenshots that are just so creative that I can't even imagine um but i really appreciate you spending the time uh, to have a chat to us once again thanks Thank you. sifter is uh produced by fiona bartholomeus nicholas kenny daniel ang sarah island viv thumb and adam christu uh, mitch Lowe is our senior producer my name's gianni giovanni i'm the executive producer you can find everything that we've talked about on our website that's sifter.com dot au uh, and you can read about all the games uh, see the uh, episodes we featured you can go back in our catalog uh, have a look at um, when we talked about yonder the cloud catcher chronicles uh, if you want to learn a bit more about um, private sloss previous games 
And while you're online, why not join the Sifter community? Uh, we are on Discord, uh, where you can find uh, us and talk about the games you're playing, and maybe share some of those screenshots you've taken inside of Grow. Uh, you can do that by going to sifter.com.au forward slash Discord. That address, again, is sifter.com.au forward slash Discord. And if you like the show... Share it with your friends. Tell them that they can get an insight into what it actually takes to make games, a bit of that experience, uh, learn a little bit more. Maybe they're interested in making games and want to know a bit about what that is like. Uh, tell them they can find our podcast for free in their podcast player or on sifter.com today. Um, and Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us once again. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it. That's all for now. Um, until next time, have fun. Bye. Bye.